Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to FP Interviews. In-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Welcome back, football fans, and it's Footy Prime interview. Um, listen, wh- while the men are really enjoying their moment right now, our women's national team are still basking in their moment. Their success, of course, as gold medalists. Uh, coming up later this month, we have the uh, second half of the celebration tour. England, Germany, Spain. Ah, sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Hey, Craig, no problem at all. No, it's very pretty straightforward, right? I think so. Yeah, why oh, not? Yeah. Um, we're joined. Hey, we're, today. We're, been- we're a nation of winners. We've this women's program is. Let's remember going back to when we covered the qualifications for 2012 in Vancouver. They haven't looked back since. They have not looked back since. So they've had amazing momentum in the women's program that um, has been just incredible. And long may it continue. Well, the head coach of the Canadian women's national team is Bev Priestman. And Bev is our guest today. It's been a long time coming, Bev. But uh, you are our first Olympic champion, by the way, to ever be on this podcast, which isn't saying much. You know, the bar's quite low, but right now you're soaring (laughs) above it. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a while in the making, this one. It has. It has. We know we're looking forward to this. Uh, you, You obviously love a challenge. I mean, these are tough games coming up. Um, but that's where you're at now. You're Olympic champions. Um, the women's team has been strong for years, as Craig mentioned there. But listen, let me ask you this. You've coached at age grade level, U17s, U20s, um, England's under 17s. Now, now it's senior and it's working. What's the biggest difference between coaching those teams and the national senior team? Yeah, when I went to England, I left Canada because I was working with youth players and I want to be a senior coach, right? I want to challenge myself. So, you know, I went to England just to work with senior players. Um, And I would say the biggest thing is your neck's on the line, right? That's the biggest thing. I think it's got the best out of me because ultimately you you have to win. Um, And so you have to be decisive. You have to stick to your principles. Um, That's the biggest thing for me. It's big decisions, big moments that, you know, when your heart beats, you know, on the sideline in big, big moments, it's a different feeling. Um, And I love it. Now, that adjustment coming through the systems and obviously your experiences, uh, a lot of people don't, you know, know your background probably as much as we do. But, you know, you've had incredible experience and, and, you know, you've paid your dues through these systems and you've learned incredibly amounts of, of, uh, you know, uh, abilities to to coach. Um, What 
how's that journey been for you? Because let's face it, um, you grew up, you were born in Consett, England, uh, same as uh, John Herdman. Um, you're, you, you fell in love with a sport that was dominated by men. Let's face it. Um, opportunities in England when I was there, and you know, I think you were born two years after I arrived in England, shows you how old I am. But it was different, and it's still got a long way to go. But the growth of the women's game in England, as well as here, uh, is incredible. And I think we got in Canada a bit of a head start because of the push down from men and in football in England. Never saw anything in the media, never saw anything written about it, never saw women play it. And now we've got seen leagues over there. They're the quality of play has gone up like I never thought it would. The standards have increased and the opportunities are there uh, more so for women than any before. But tell us a little bit about that and how that was growing up in that environment. Yeah, I think basically I was the only, you know, only girl playing on my street with the boys, put the jumpers down. Uh, you know, it sounds cliche, but that's basically what my upbringing was. The only girl in the school football team. You know, the list goes on. Um, and so if I say like opportunities wise, I can relate to it a little bit in in Canada. You know, I think the professional leagues and the professional opportunities weren't necessarily there. Um, but here in Canada, you're having a massive amount of young female players who are passionate and ready to go and try and make it in the game. And I think our next step, as you know, is to get a professional league. You look at the WSL, it's massively like massively grown. Um, mm-hmm. Even now, our players coming back from that in the environment, the minute they step on the pitch, the ball moves quicker. They, they Their touch is better. Like it is having a massive impact on on the women's game and it's the profile's massively increased. Would you encourage girls at this point to, obviously the pathway could be NESL as well or WSL or, you know, where would you recommend um, a young girl to, to aim for? Is it Europe? Because in the men's game, you know, MLS is great and it's doing incredible things. But I, I think at this point, a lot of players are still being drawn to Europe before MLS. Is, is that still the case, do you think, for the women's game? Um, I don't think it's that sort of black and white. You look, it's it's done Christine Sinclair. No, no harm to be in the NWSL. So I think it's just totally different. It, it would depend for me in the conversation I'm having with players what it is that they maybe bring or will be successful in. You look, NWSL is a more athletically transitional, um, unbelievable athletes and, and sort of a tighter competition. Like you never know who's going to win. I would say the WSL is more tactical, technical, um, but I would say like now the WSL is like a top, top league in the world. You go watch it and there's, you know, Arsenal, Man City or Chelsea, Man City. It's it's an unbelievable spectacle. You've got internationals on the pitch all over. You know, one of the interesting things, uh, you're, you're coaching one of the all time greatest soccer women's players, of, you know, ever, uh, Christine Sinclair. We know her personality really well, and she's one of the most wonderful people you could ever meet, Um, but she's a superstar. And how is that for you? Uh, I I can imagine she could only have made it really comfortable knowing her as I do for you to make that change into the the first team coach. Yeah, I think um, what I would say is going into the Olympics, she'd hardly been in, right? We She believes Cup she was missing with an injury. April, she got an injury when we were there. Um, 
and and then we've pretty much had June and then the Olympics. And so I'm actually really excited to get the next two years with Christine. That's what she's made the commitment to for sure is into the World Cup. But what I would say is like the most, as you know, and as Canadians know, you just wouldn't know what she's achieved in her career when you're around her. But she does have this aura that I think any young player that goes into our environment, you, you feel, you feel confident, you, you've, you've got a legend um, who is still performing on the pitch. And I think that's the critical thing. Everyone talks about the age and, and whatever. I know Christine can take a, one touch where some players might have to take three. Um, she's, that quality is still there and it's, it's shining through. Um, and, and even for me as a coach, it's learnings. Like I remember she missed the penalty, right, in Brazil, the Brazil shootout. If that was Julia Grosso, instantly I would have gone over. Are you okay? And I'm like, it's Christine. She, she's, you know, scored how many penalties in her career? But even that, I'm like, she's still a player. She's still, you know, she still have her own insecurities and, and has missed a penalty in a big moment for our country that she cares a lot about. So, you know, for me, I think we we, we now have a great relationship where um, we're ready to move forward on a new journey and, um, and she's committed and we know we can go and achieve some great things together. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the really great players, they evolve their game, right? So Christine now isn't the same player as she was, you know, even five years ago, but as you mentioned, still really effective. Um, is it going to be up to you or her eventually, whenever that day comes, you know, not the next two years to say, okay, now it's time for us to, to move in this, this new direction. I get the impression she'll be able to recognize that when that day comes. Yeah, we had a really good chat in the celebration tour, Um and, and, you know, her biggest fear is, I don't want to be that player that hangs around too long. You know, that, that was her sort of, and I'm like, well, you still made the starting lineup. So <laughs> I'll promise you that if that moment ever comes, I'll be honest with you around where you're at. But right now, like you still have an unbelievable amount to offer to this group and, and the country. So, yeah, she's, she's humble. Every player needs to hear that you need them. Um, and, and we absolutely need it. Now, you have uh, just some decisions to make at the other end of the pitch as well. You have a retirement of the great Stephanie LeBay, and uh, we're going to miss her uh, for sure. Um, how does a goalkeeper position look at the moment? Um, Kaylin Sheridan, uh, Sabrina D'Angelo uh, look up and comers. Um, we've had a strong list of great goalkeepers in the women's program. How is it looking for you at this present moment? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is Canada, for me, produces world-class goalkeepers. I mean, look at yourself, eh? There we go. Oh, <laughs> come on. No. Um, Thanks, no, Beth. We, do, we, do produce, we do produce goalkeepers. And what I would say is right up until the Olympics, you know, Steph will tell you this, it was very much Steph or Keelan. It was neck and neck. And we played a game against the Netherlands and, and Steph, in a friendly, Steph cemented her place and like what a performance she put on that Olympics. But I think that's credit to where Kaylin is as well. I think Kaylin has some totally different qualities to Steph um, totally different keepers, as you know. Um, but like, I think she's got a massive, massive future. Um, I think this tournament coming up will be a massive, great opportunity for her. And, and you know, although Steph's retired, how have you, Kaylin, hasn't changed. I've always had a massive amount of belief in her um but there's no doubt like Steph's experience that confidence she oozed you know like the look in her eye when that penalty moment came like you can't buy that but I think we, we do have an exciting future in 
in the goalkeeping realm. And, and you know, there's more coming through the system. That's great to hear. Uh, one of the things that uh, would I be wrong in saying that the goalkeeper position is um, the most improved internationally in the last 15 years? Absolutely. I, I think you would have seen so much more, you know, shots from outside the box in the women's game going in, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Now it's much harder to score. You only have to look at our Olympic um, campaign to know the goals don't come for free, whether that's the, the goalkeeper or not. But um, yeah, it's it's massively improved. And when you've got a, a world-class goalkeeper, it can make a massive difference. Why, why is that? Is, is it training? Is it? Um, I, I I can't imagine a reason why in 15 years it's come so far and improved so much. Yeah, I think it's just the professionalism, the specialist training, the level of coaches. Like, you know, I think many, many reasons, but I think um, a mixture of all of those, a little bit like outfield as well. I think the athleticism has, you know, in terms of training and professionalism, that's, that's massively shifted too. Yeah. What I really like about and respect about the women's program here in Canada in particular is that a lot of these these players use their their foundation, their platform to get a message out there, to get a message a- across. These are uh, women with, with personalities and intelligence. Is that something you really encourage from your players? Because I think we're so used to athletes and sportsmen in, in, in general not happy in that, not using that platform properly. Maybe it's changing a bit more now, but mm. it seems in the women's team in this country, it's always been that way. Yeah, and I think like absolutely, I think there's there's issues that this group can use their platform for to address. Um, we spoke about being brave going into that Olympics that was on the pitch, but I think sometimes the brave thing to do is have the hard conversations off the pitch too. And I think um, you know, credit to this group now, their purpose is much more than that gold medal. They want to see their country, you know, the the investment, the professional leagues, like, you know, they know that this country can do amazing things like sustainably, not these one-offs or, you know, we can, we can go after that long-term with the right investment, the right structures underneath. And that's what the, the group are really, really passionate about. That's what I love about this women's team. And, and it, it's a little bit different than the men's team for sure. Um, well, a, a lot different and, and following them and covering them for so many years. Uh, I have the utmost respect for their ability to see outside of the field and the social issues that are so important. And I think that they're in a they're in a position. Um, all these former players, I, I just yeah, I can't speak highly enough about them. That it wasn't never about them. It was always about the girls on the sideline and signing autographs. And after Olympic qualifying, even in 2012, they would spend as many hours as it took to sign everybody that stayed around autographs. And this has been something that's been going on for years. And there's so many young women out there and young boys that just absolutely love this team and, and what they stand for, just not on the field and their competitiveness and, and for Canada, but also for the social issues that I think is very unique in, uh, in Canadian sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even my first camp, you look, the, the She Believes Cup, the group took a knee and, and, you know, made a statement there. And yeah, I think the fans are a big part of this, this team. And I think for us to get that gold step on the podium, like you, you hope you've inspired a whole generation there that are going to go and take on the sport. For me, you know, I was at the men's game when I first got back and I still see men with Sinclair 12 on their back. And that's quite unique globally that I think to have, you know, male fans that are so invested in the women's team as well. And then you go and see what the men are doing now. This is really going to be a, a soccer country. 
That's a great point. I, I think the women's team, what they've done is they've brought in so many new fans to the game in the last decade or more, more than a decade, actually, you know, whereas the men's team are just now finding their moments. We had John on the podcast a, a few weeks ago now. He was saying, you know, part of the reason why he left the women's team was he realized that to get that women's team to the next level, you need money as simple as that. Um, and to get money, the men's team must be successful. Is that something you you understand and agree with? Yeah, I think um, like I'm feeling it now, right? You come back from a, a gold medal and you want to like, right, we're off. But there's yeah. a reality there of, you know, where the organization's at. And yeah, I think the men, we're right behind John for what he's done for the program. But the, the men to, to go and qualify and put put us on the world stage and, and, and invest and, and, and get more fans in the game. But I think absolutely it'll bring a massive amount into the organization that will help us do more than what we've been able to achieve, you know, little details. Um, you know, like you're going, we're going to Mexico to Guadalajara and, and in them environments, you need a chef as an example where when I was with England, that was a given everywhere you went, there was a chef. And, you know, these are for what we've achieved with what we've got. I think that's, that's even more special with this group. What I uh, like about what I'm hearing, uh, and I certainly hope it's the fact that we talk about equal pay uh, amongst our national team players, uh, men and women. I certainly hope that that is the case moving forward. Uh, we need to have uh, our bo- our programs looked at equally. Um, they're just as important. They run simultaneously. They're brilliant together and I think we should use both of them uh, to you know build a game together as opposed to fight against it uh, our women deserve it we deserve a league we need it um, for development because the rest of the country the rest of the world as you know Beth the women's game is growing quicker than anything else and countries that used to be poor at it I mean look at England's development I mean there was years ago going back 25 years ago Canada would just wash the floor with them that's not the case anymore. France, the Netherlands, it goes on and on. You know, so the, the Germans have obviously been very strong. The Scandinavian countries. Is that down to really the opportunities that uh, women have in certain countries and don't have in other countries? Because unfortunately, there's countries in the world where they don't get a chance even to go watch football. Um, you know, is that is that what you're finding? Yeah, I think it's like multiple things. It's like... Our, we're now a better team because we have better environments in which our players are in every day. Like I get the players for 10 days a, a window. I'm not going to make them a better player. They're going to do that in their domestic environments, just like what happens in the men's game. And um, so that's the first thing. I think the environments they're in, the professionalism, the league they're playing in, the game is quicker. They've got to move quicker, play quicker, press quicker. There's that. There's an investment piece around a little bit like what you're seeing in, in a lot of countries where their men have qualified, there's there's a massive amount of investment, right, regularly, because the men qualify and they bring in investment. But I think, you know, take away that, like FIFA and investment in women's sports, it's it's proven that if you do it, you get the results. And I think that's where where we need to head in, in the future is continue to put this team on the podium. I think the worst thing we can do is, you know, we've done it, take our foot off the gas. And that's for me as a coach as well. We have to keep, we have to come down off that mountain that we've just conquered and be brave enough to climb another one because I think you you stay at the top and it's, yeah, it, it, you'll get overtaken um, and, and you can't just live off that, that gold medal. We have to move on now to a World Cup and go and do something that this group haven't conquered yet. We haven't really done that well at World Cups. 
Do we find, uh, or you will find, I'm sure, that with all the success uh, from both sides, that the scrutiny is going to come uh, because you set your standards and they're yeah. incredibly high. So people are going to expect you to be competing for the podiums at the World Cup and these mm-hmm. Olympic Games. Uh, how do you feel about that? Are you ready for it? And uh, uh, what do you think of our future uh, continually to be continued that continuous to sex? Like you said, it's got to be continual. It can't be these one-offs that, uh, that the men have had that haven't really shown a lot. But I think we're going to have that with both programs now. Yeah, I think um, when you when you do something like what we've just done, the, the problem is, is that if it's like in a protect mindset of we're clinging on to this gold, everything we'll do will be not to take risks. And you look what got us on the podium. I put a lot of emphasis on being braver than we've ever been, like nothing to lose, the underdog sort of mindset. And that's what this team have been very, very good at, like always trying to prove people that we're a top team. I think we've got to now be braver. We've, we've actually got to go and be braver because – we can stand still. We can, oh, that gold, that gold. Like, I'm going to say to the players in the Arnold Cup, I don't want to hear about the gold now. I just want to see it. I want to see it on the pitch. I think we have to, um, yeah, like that scrutiny is going to come, that expectation. We don't know how to win. Like, sorry, we've never experienced winning at that level that we did in the summer. And I remember saying to the staff, we weren't prepared to win. Like, the celebration, we didn't know how to celebrate. Like, we, you know what I mean? It's true. Whereas, it like, if you if you used to that, and that's something, yeah, I bet the Americans were brilliant at celebrating because it's the <laughs> um, so we have to we have to be able to cope with that, and um, at the same time, know where our destination is, and that's the World Cup. I'll go into this Arnold Cup coming up, and you know you've got pressure, you've got expectation, you've got scrutiny. But in my mind, half of the team are, are out of season. You know, not like the Europeans. So there'll be some challenges there, but we just have to know that we're there to put ourselves in the fire. It's going to help us move forward. We've, we've done some learnings on playing top 10 teams and what we need to improve, and it's a great chance to to put that to work. But when it really matters is qualification in the summer and then at, at the World Cup. You know, I'm, I'm guilty, you know, 10, 15 years ago of, of seeing how the women's game was growing and other nations investing more money and the war getting bigger in, in that in that prime and thinking, wow, watch out, Canada. Hope you enjoyed the success while you had it. And here we are now, still a major player, an Olympic champion. So, you know, we're finding a way. When I watch, you know, Sky Sports or, or listen to various podcasts from overseas, I'm seeing the women's game now being covered. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite the extent as, say, the Premier League, but they're getting a lot of exposure. And a lot of female commentators are, are becoming, you know, household names over there. They're fantastic, actually. Emma Hayes, by the way, she, she'll coach yeah. for a long time. But when she doesn't, she'll be in the media straight away. She's just brilliant. I learn more from her than I do from, from most pundits, that's for sure. Um, in Canada, we're obviously, from a club perspective, still, still growing. Um, is the next step a women's domestic league or is it more of an expansion from NASL up here? What, what do you think is, is the next logical step? Yeah, I think it's like the, which one comes first. I think they're both needed. Um, for me, if you're asking about um, a spectacle, like the the top level would be the first place to start from. That's my personal opinion, because I think for anyone turning up to see women's professional soccer for the first time, um, it should be at its highest and it should have the top players in it. But you look at the, the actual impact of a professional league, Coaches, referees, more players. We use so we lose so much talent that you know youth players go to NCAA, and then you hear of them 
oh, well, I just don't play anymore. I've met a couple recently and, you know, that were in our system when I was here before. So I think both are equally as important. If you ask me which one comes first, in my opinion, I'd love to see Canadian team, two Canadian teams in the end of cell with some top, top level players in it of our own players that people can put on TV, turn up to and, and see a great spectacle. And I think that will really kick on the need for a, a women's professional league. You mentioned the NCAA. Uh, I think we've, uh, as a country, benefited from the NCAA programs and the number of scholarships uh, that we can go through uh, in the in the past. Is that still a great opportunity for our young women? Uh, it seems like it, but I'm not sure. You'll know better about that program and where that's going and whether we can still take advantage of the NCAA program like we have in the past, the same level. Yeah, I think it's difficult, right? Short season... Uh, roll on, roll off subs. So my experiences have been that some players will get thrown on for 20 minutes, brought off, and then they'll go and press again. And so the physical capability of the players that we've had who've gone to NCAA, I'm talking of, you know, players who were in my program. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I think it has its challenges. If you're asking me where the women's game's going, I think you'll see more players going professional. Right from a younger age, you look at Jordan Heidemer. You look, I think that's the future of the women's game. But at the same time, I think there's a great value in in you know not just throwing all your your eggs in a in a football world, as you know, injuries etc. That there is a place for NCAA and what that gives to an experience of our players. Mm-hmm. Like Gabby Carl goes and wins, like that adds to what players have in their locker. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all, but I do think it's not the only way. And you you could imagine now an NWSL team in Canada that links to schools where our players can come through, they they come out of our youth system, they get to go to school and be a professional young player, which is what happens in England at the moment. The best under-18 players are in, you know, Manchester City's academy, going to school, college, and getting a, a professional football career. So when you look at NCAA now, are we speaking at a time now where their level or length of season or coaching is now falling a little bit behind uh, the actual international game, the professional game, um, and those players are not quite at the technical and tactical uh, levels physically as well coming out of NCAA as they are? I think the, the length of the season is obviously a huge factor in that. Like, I think, again, the counterparts of our players who go to NCAA in Europe are getting like, a, I don't know, a 40-week program with meaningful games, with four-corner support, with, you know, a pathway into the first team that maybe get called up, like a Lauren Hempal uses as an example. You know, a young player who's doing brilliantly for England at Manchester City. She would have come through that sort of pathway. And so I think we have to know that that's not the only way. Um, and the likes of a Jordan Heitman's pathway from Vancouver Whitecaps over to PSG um, is also another way. All right, Bev, uh, on, on the lighter side here, we had John on the podcast, as I mentioned there. I can't believe you both are from the same town. I mean, it's a small town, but there are some, some pretty well-known football figures um, from, from there. Now, Craig spent hours putting together a little quiz for John, which <laughs> he failed it, didn't he? I think I think he failed miserably. I can't remember now. Craig. Yeah, he was terrible. Terrible, yeah. yeah. So, so Craig, we're going to put you in the spot now, Bev, and you can blame Craig for this. It's his idea. Yeah, okay, Bev. So this is going to be so. There's only going to be five questions, and right. uh, we'll start with 
you live, you grew up in Consett, of course, and you're born there. Um, you're only about 25 minutes away from Hadrian's Wall. Now, we're talking about defenses here. Now, it was the most northerly defensive wall of the Roman Empire. So you know all about this and defending. How long is Hadrian's Wall? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know that history is my worst subject of all time. So the minute you start talking about Hadrian's Wall, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's um, more than 18 yards. Who's, who's Adrian? <laughs> yeah, right. I've been to Hadrian's Wall. I have no idea. And 73, I'm 73 miles. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, I've been to Hadrian's Wall, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Failed the first one. So there you go. As long as you can defend, you know, a goal that's eight yards by 10 feet, you know, we're all good. We're okay. Now, John didn't have a clue about this, but he was, he, he um, what is the population now of Consett, England? Oh, God. You know, I didn't live there till I, I've only lived there like the age of sixteen. Um, okay, so I'm sixteen. Yeah, I left to go to university, and then I haven't been. I've obviously been back to see my parents. But I haven't Did you learn anything in school? Um, <laughs> you don't know my school, but anyway, um, I'm gonna say it's very small town. So I'm gonna say around twenty-five thousand. Wow. 20, around 26,000. John said 86,000. He said, wow, I hadn't grown much. And I said, do I neither of you? Well, at least I know how small town it is. There we go. Yeah. Okay, here's one that you should get. Your partner, you're married to Emma Humphreys, mm-hmm. former New Zealand International. Yeah. What is her birthday? <laughs> That's not fair. Jesus. <laughs> 14th of June, 1986. There we go. Wow! You can't put on the spot that way. I mean, you've got to know this about about your wives, no? Of course Uh, you do. Craig and I are divorced. Craig and I are divorced, so (laughs) we probably didn't do (laughs) too well. (laughs) Not not from each other, just divorced. No, no. (laughs) Okay, that was excellent. What is the distance between... Well, hold on a minute. You were a Newcastle fan, Middlesbrough, Sunderland? Man United. Oh, what? no. I know. Oh. I know. Oh, my heart just bleeds. Yeah. Are you kidding I know. me? I know. I had, honestly, I had the bedspread, the curtains, everything. Yeah. Who was your favorite player? Giggsy. Giggsy? Yeah, it was like that class of 92 come through. Beckham, Giggs. Right, and of Chelsea, course. Like the whole, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, Consett, by the way, is uh, the third highest market town in England. Um, do you know what the altitude of Consett is? Oh no, no idea. <laughs> that's ridiculous. No idea. It's a it's a total of nine hundred feet. You must have had lots of snow there. Wow. Hey, yeah, hey, we did have a lot of snow. Hey, Craig, what's what's Vancouver's uh, altitude? Uh, about three meters. Okay, good. Right. That was uncool. If you said Gross Mountain, that would be about 4,000 feet. All right. There we go. <laughs> oh, so I should have actually had how, what is the distance between Consett and Manchester? Because you probably have a better idea than that. Because I was going to ask you, how far is Consett from Newcastle? Oh, I'm going to say, go on, I'll have a go at this. I'm going to say 25 miles. It's uh, 15 miles, it takes you about 22 minutes. Okay. But, Maybe you know, you're, you're young. I must have seen. Yeah, you probably drove the wrong way. You yeah, probably drove around Hadrian's wall. <laughs> <laughs> Any more cues, Craig? Or is that it? 
Do I have any more? I'm going I'm to jump in real quick. I'm going to jump in real quick, Craig, to ask Bev. This is Dan um, Wong, by the way. Dan Wong, welcome oh, to the nice show. To, nice to meet you, Bev. Um, you're, you're flying home to Consett. What is the first meal you crave? What are you okay. getting in England? I already know the answer to this. And John Herdman, if you asked him this question, would say the same thing. There is a Chinese um, place that's like famous, actually, in concerts. And all the footballers Marvel. like Alan Shearer and people like that would go. And it's called The Pavilion. And it's this unbelievable Chinese restaurant that I'm actually going when I get out of the Arnold Cup. And I'm oh, sure wow. John Herdman would have said the same thing. And it was appropriate that I am half Chinese. So it's a great answer. And then when we finally take uh, the, the podcast on the road and we do our England tour, we're going. Pavilion. Okay, yeah. Yes. Pavilion. You've got to go. You've got to and, go. And because I know Craig has just been uh, binge watching Ted Lasso. What is Never the last? You haven't. Never seen okay. it. Well, it's worth binge watching. Have you wa- binge? What was the last show you binge watched? Oh, God. I'm currently watching and I'm ashamed. Called The Midwife. I don't even know that one. It's an English show. Yeah, yeah Call the Midwife. I'm, I'm binge watching it and I'm ashamed to admit that. <laughs> Don't be uh, were you a fan of Geordie Shores? Oh, yes. <laughs> Love Geordie Shore. Love it. It doesn't necessarily paint the greatest picture, but it's probably accurate. Whenever you say to someone, have you been to Newcastle? And they'll say, yeah. And th- then what they say is, it's a great night out. They never say what a beautiful place it is. <laughs> Beth, they would be th- right. Th- it is a great night out. Beth, <laughs> yeah. th- thank you so much. You know, you, you've uh, you've helped us in this country do what we didn't think was possible, and that's reached the top of the uh, the football tree, Olympic champion. Uh, these are good days for Canadian soccer, men's and women's. So uh, we're really enjoying it. Thank you so much, and we'd love to get you back on again. And good luck in the uh, the games coming up. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's Beth Priestman, and this has been Fully Prime Interview. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.